it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern, to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 54. Andrew and I are going to talk about the maturation of different industries. We're going to discuss how when you're looking at companies to invest, one of the things you want to look at is how the industry that it's in is maturing and what stage of growth they might be in along that path. So without any further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Andrew and he's going to get us started. Thanks, Dave. So this is something that I actually really haven't read anything about uh, when it comes to investing and everything. It's just one of those things I kind of noticed as I was looking through financial statements, kind of trying to observe like how different stocks kind of move throughout the years. You know, I've done a ton of research and I post on my blog about companies that have failed, also companies that have really succeeded. And looking at the financials and, and trying to piece together what happened in the very beginning and then how did it play out as the years went on. So, and I'm sure, you know, this is probably like common sense stuff for, I don't know, business majors, econ majors, whatever. But we, you know, we're DIY investors and, and we're just trying to soak in as much information as we can. And so it's good to keep our eyes open, try to be observant. So, in a similar fashion to, one of the previous episodes where I talked about unconventional investing, you know, rules to have for your portfolio. I, I figured this this would be kind of another cool thing to discuss and talk about. So, I mean, it's obvious when you look at a single stock standpoint that stocks will mature and they will reach a point where. I don't want to say it's like too big to fail, but uh, they do get to a point where they're kind of too big to grow in a sense. So I, I talked about this in one of the daily emails several weeks back, where if you look at a company like Amazon, as as they trade today, it's somewhere around 700, almost $800 billion in market cap. So you have the high valuations and I love the company. I 
absolutely use them. I think they're revolutionizing the world. They are changing the world. They are making everything so convenient. I have an Amazon package at my front door probably once a week. So I love the company. However, as an investment and looking at the valuation metrics, it's just not something that I want to take a bite out of. And you'll see, you know, you'll continue to see so much rationalization when it comes to people who are following the stock and and just the average Joe investor who wants to spout his opinion online. And and you can tell, you know, a lot of it's just strictly uneducated. They have no concept of valuation, no concept of any sort of fundamentals. And they'll just kind of quote random facts that fits their narrative and has a confirmation bias where it, it it just looks bullish. And so they are bullish on the stock, you know, and I, I don't want to say that the stock won't continue to climb from here. I mean, it could easily climb in our 10, 20%. And I don't see that as not being out of the realm of possibility. However, when I look at stocks, I'm looking at the very long term. We discussed last week about some selling strategies and I discussed how Ideally, I would like to hold a stock and hold it for forever. That means collecting dividends all along the way. That means the stock is growing its dividend. I'm reinvesting that dividend. And that also means that the stock is at least growing close to, you know, obviously ideally better than the average, but close to the average stock market appreciation point, which historically has been 10%. And you can see just so many studies out there that have shown that in the US stock market, 10% has been the average for over 100 years. The problem with that is when you look at a company like Amazon, for them to grow, you know, if my holding period is forever, but let's look at like a basic 20 year holding period. For the stock to grow 10% a year for 20 years, I don't know what the exact numbers will be, but let's just say. You know, what are the odds of Amazon 10xing from here? Again, I don't have a calculator. So after a certain point in years, 10% a year compounded over and over and over again will eventually double your money, triple your money, and then 10x your money. So for Amazon to 10x, it's going to have to go from its current market cap of $700 billion, which is crazy. And you know, we talk about billions of dollars all the time. You hear people talk about trillions of dollars when you turn on CNBC and they're talking about the government. So it's at a certain point it just kind of gets lost in our foggy mind, right? Where it's just ah, they're talking about billions, like it's all just big numbers and and, and there's no concept on the actual scale of this. But when you talk about seven hundred billion dollars and to 10x that, that becomes seven trillion dollars. That's higher than the GDP of you know, I wrote this in the email. It's higher than the GDP of the UK, India, and Canada combined as they sit today. And you know, in 10, 20 years, it you know, the, the GDP will probably be much higher for those companies. I mean those countries. But again, we're talking about GDPs that generally grow. If you talk about the US or the UK, one of the more developed economies it's maybe two three four five percent a year india's seen maybe ten percent because they're kind of more like a growth economy but like come on you really think a company like amazon is going to get so big that 
it's going to eclipse all these other countries out there. It's a fantastic company. It's wonderful. It's, it's bringing in a lot of revenue. Uh, it, it's spending a lot of money to, to get that revenue. But to think that it's not going to have these issues down the line, we just saw it this week with Facebook, right? Where they had a huge data breach. The, the valuations have been pretty high for it for some time. And so they lost, I think it was a news article saying that they lost the value of Tesla in market cap in like two days. So, you know, it, and that, that was very dr- dramatized. Like they already had so much market cap that it was maybe like a 10% drop or something. It wasn't like the whole company is going to go bankrupt or anything. But, you know, that's just one example of a company that got so large that now it's having a, a hiccup and, and there's just these big problems with companies. And then we're going to talk about industries in a second. But these companies just getting so large and there's just only, the world is only so big. And, and I'm so optimistic and I, I love to talk about compound interest, explosive growth, and how you know trillions of dollars of wealth can be created in the future. But at the same token, we have to be realistic and we have to put some realistic boundaries on what to expect when it comes to these investments, when it comes to the economy, when it comes to how much can business really create more wealth for everybody involved. So when I'm looking at stocks and I look at what are some of the other options besides Amazon, I think there's plenty of stocks out there that have the potential to 10x over, let's say, a 10 or 20 year time period. And it's it's very reasonable to see that a company like that can 10x. So let's take like your average small cap stock, right? They would trade somewhere around the $2 billion range. For it to go from $2 billion to $20 billion, is it going to reach a point where it's like breaking new records or, you know, taking over countries? No. I mean, there's plenty of companies out there that are $20 billion. And a lot of the more developed industries have several, you know, a couple big players that have several hundred billion dollars. So it's not unreasonable to think that the smaller you go, the more opportunity you have for your investment to 10x or or grow at a really high compounded rate per year. And what you'll tend to see when you look at industries is kind of the the more the more they mature, the more that there's going to be acquisitions, the more that the big fish swallow the little fish. And, you know, it basically comes down to once you're so big, if you're at $400 billion to grow 10% a year, that means $40 billion. So it's once you start looking at those numbers, and Warren Buffett's starting to see those kinds of issues with Berkshire Hathaway when when he's looking at his own investments, but you know it's it's much harder to create, let's say, forty billion dollars of revenue than it is to create four billion dollars of revenue. Yes, they have more resources, they have more assets, all of these things, but as you get bigger and bigger, and you as a business, you kind of start to really bloat. You know, and you get that stereotype with corporations where the bigger ones tend to have more office politics and and all these sorts of things. And there's just a lot of bloat and excess, right? Whereas maybe a startup's very lean and their and their expenses are really small and 
and they're just focused so much on growth. So there's just a big difference there. And it's important to realize that the bigger and bigger these companies get, the harder it is for them to maintain double digit growth. And you need to factor that into your investments. And that's kind of why I'm a big proponent of small cap stocks. It is, you know, part of it is too that a lot of them have seen lower valuations over the past four or five years. So I have been just naturally gravitating towards those. But I think this is something that is an idea that I think will be fleshed out more in the future and I hope is discussed by people way smarter than me. But I think that there's a lot of opportunity when you're looking at small companies. And again, I go back to that research that I did where I looked at some of the most successful dividend stocks of the last 25 years. It was based on an article that Ben Reynolds did. And I kind of took that, what he wrote about and took it a step further to look at what were the different qualities of these businesses when they first started out. And a lot of them were in that small $500 million to, let's say, two to $3 billion range. And so, you know, part of that's just inflation, but, you know, a, a big part of that is also these companies growing in and kind of promoting themselves from, from small growers to more medium established businesses. And so I think if you can find that sweet spot in market cap, you can really help your investment performance because you have these forces, these natural forces of business that are more working for you rather than against you. That was really interesting. So let me kind of go to the next step then. So you mentioned earlier the different types of industries. So I'd be interested to learn a little bit more about what your thoughts were with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you asked. So I talked about before how there's like a there's something weird about like things kind of falling into place into threes and I don't want to get too far into it. I wrote like a blog post about it that didn't really get hardly any traffic, but uh what I wrote is that like for example if if you pull up Google and you type in a search, like let's say you search uh investing for beginners, oh there's Andrew's site, right? But there will be whatever you search on Google will show up three different websites, you know, 10 different websites. But what the data has shown that Google has, has talked about is that you'll have like 40% of people who search will click on the first link, 20% will click on the second link, and 10% will click on the third link. And then the rest will just kind of sprinkle in to the, the fourth through 10. So basically, the idea behind that is that there's like three major big players uh, that, that take up all the attention and kind of get all the results while the rest you know, don't really do much. And so what was interesting to me is that I saw this a lot in industries in the stock market. And you actually tended to see it in industries that were more matured than others. And so, you know, again, this is kind of speculation. I don't know. I don't have any like hard data behind it, but it seems to me that a lot of these industries, you'll see like mergers, acquisitions, You'll see bigger companies swallow up smaller companies. And you have to think like, is this something with the US government and regulation where, you know, obviously they want to keep monopolies out of the 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 stock market and the business world as much as they can. And so does that does that enforcement naturally create 
two or three big players and is that by design you know maybe that's the answer maybe that's that's kind of what i'm trying to figure out and just haven't yet and I, i'm sure i've re- you know read various things throughout the course of my investing journey that probably alluded to this here and there and so it's not like all my ideas are completely original but i think it's again i think it can be useful because let's say for example you have an industry where maybe instead of having those three players they have two big ones and two small ones well it's likely that one of the smaller ones will swallow up the other smaller one to make that kind of third final piece of the industry and so if you can maybe pick out the better investment out of the two you might get higher returns than if you maybe bought one of the bigger ones or you know even like okay let me let me look at the beverage industry because this is kind of easy to talk about and then I'll talk about how we can use that in an actionable sense so if we look at beverage industry you got Coca-Cola, PepsiCo, Monster Beverage and Dr Pepper so right now they're not a big 3 they're a big 4 and I'm just looking at all these industries I'm going to talk about today. I'm just looking at those in the United States. If you want to do this at home, you can go to finviz.com. Uh, use use a screener, and they they sort it by industry, so you can pick out a specific industry. If you type in any stock in the search bar, it will show you what industry they're in, and you can click in that industry, and it will it will filter you for just that industry. And so I'm sorting by market cap and you know there's other competitors out there that are you know billion dollars there's one here 4 billion dollars but you know those aren't really big players we're talking about the big ones here so Coca-Cola is at like 183 PepsiCo is 153 and then Monster and Sna- and Dr Pepper are both at 31 and 21 so you know let's say all the valuations, all the numbers aside, let's just take the whole industry theory and and try to make an investment thesis based off of that. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. 
Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. You could say that Coca-Cola is number one, so they're going to continue to grow. And, you know, that might be the smart thing to do. But let's say, you know, you really want something that can give you 15% returns a year. You know, is Coca-Cola going to get a 10x in 10 or 20 years? Well, right now they're at $183 billion. To 10x from here, that would be $1 trillion in market cap, which I'm sure we could find a bunch of small countries that have don't have that much of a GDP. So that might sound pretty unreasonable. But can like a Dr. Pepper go from 21 billion to 200 or 2100 billion, you know, uh, sorry, 21 billion to two to 210 billion. I mean, I think that sounds more reasonable. Now we're talking about a stock that went from mid cap status to blue chip status. And, you know, not only that, but I think when you buy the, these smaller companies, those are probably more likely to get bought out if this industry continues to mature. So let, let's say that thesis I was talking about comes true where these four players turn into three. So that means let's say, you know, either Monster and Dr. Pepper could merge and become that final third piece. So they'd be at around $52 billion. That could happen. Or Pepsi could swallow up Dr. Pepper to better compete with Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola could swallow up either Monster or Dr. Pepper to really cement their number one status over Pepsi. So all those things can happen. And what you generally see with a merger or an acquisition, and I say generally, and this is probably, I don't know, 75 to 90% true, but you tend to see businesses overpay for a company that they're acquiring. And and this happens at a more grander and extreme scale. The further into a bull market you get, the more euphoria you get. Um, Robert Schiller referred to it as irrational exuberance. And you know it, it often gets paired with things like a bunch of IPOs that get popped up out of nowhere. You get um, just a lot of aggressive accounting and, and like you know, mortgage mortgage-backed securities, stuff like that. You just see it everywhere. It's it's all over the finance world, and the higher that all the all the the bullish and greedy behavior becomes, the more and more this happens. So you'll see more and more companies that get acquired at higher higher multiples, and that's great for shareholders who are holding it. Because yeah, you know, in one sense, whatever you don't get to hold the company forever, but you get paid out a very large amount. That's going to be a really great gain and and a really great a really great realized portion of your capital that you can either 
keep in the parent company and that can now continue to compound or you can you can pull it completely out and find a brand new opportunity and start the compounding process all over now with a much larger base and 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 that can compound into even greater things so so you can see like kind of an accelerated compounding you can do a mix of the two you can you can see your compounding continue in the parent company and now you just have way more shares of the parent company than you would have if you just bought it outright so in my mind there's a lot of benefits to buying these smaller cap companies that could get acquired and you know not just strictly because they could 10x but also because they can be bought up and 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 you could get paid out in that way so i think that's another benefit and you know depending on the market conditions they tend to be undervalued as well and that's what we've seen at least lately so if we look at another industry like let's look at tech right now you have google which is alpha they're called alphabet now um facebook and twitter and those those look like the big three where google and facebook are really the big two and twitter is just kind of a small player and they're actually kind of in the range with one two three four five like six other companies that are around ten ten billion dollars so in this case you might argue well maybe this industry isn't that matured yet and we're talking about tech and so yeah that makes a lot of sense you know there's still a lot of competition going around there's a lot of different market share to fight over and this industry is anything but matured so it would make sense that you know does it make sense to invest in a company like Google that has $741 billion in market cap or one of these other smaller tech ones that could grow 5x, 10x easily from here? You know, Again, that, that's the kind of call you have to make. One of the things that I kind of can look back to is how ExxonMobil back in the day was the number one stock in market cap. And you know, just because the valuations were good at that time, it was one of those things where it's like how much higher can it grow and it ended up having that industry had its own kind of hiccup and it still really hasn't recovered from those highs. You know, Microsoft hit like a $500 billion market cap back in 1999. It's, it, it's just sometimes these, these stocks kind of fly too close to the sun and, and they just literally can't physically grow anymore. And so it might make more sense to buy a smaller market cap stock. And again, the higher market cap you go, uh, by definition, that means that your valuation is higher. So we are talking kind of buy low, sell high, and that has a big factor in that as well. If we look at uh, industry like retail, Walmart's the number one by a pretty significant margin, and then you got Costco and Target, and then Dollar Tree is the number four. So uh, Dollar General and Dollar Tree. So that one's kind of still in the process of maturing. And so that's kind of like the discount store space. And you, you can argue whether Amazon has a place in that or not. And then the last one I wanted to look at was like if you go to Finviz and you put in uh, oil and gas. So you have Exxon and Chevron and then in the US, those are pretty much the last two. So that you could you can say that that one's really a lot more matured. And I remember looking at a similar industry list for oil and gas back in the day. And 
there were a lot more companies on there. So I think that was one of those things where the industry had a lot of problems and a lot of the companies, I don't know if they got swallowed up or if they just went bankrupt, but you definitely saw the list of companies really shrink over time. And so I think oil and gas is probably a lot more matured than some of these younger industries. And it's probably businesses like Exxon and Chevron. I mean, they're the one and the number two, so they've had staying power. But if you're in that kind of fourth through 10 range, there's a lot of risk if if your business is not placed on a firm foundation when it comes to the balance sheet. So I don't know, just some kind of random thoughts I had, um, some things to consider and some things to when you're looking at a stock that you want to buy, you know, is this stock really have room to grow? What's the industry look like? Are they in fierce competition? Is the industry more matured where they're just kind of playing against one or two big players? And how do you think that can play out in the future? Depending on how the industry looks, maybe maybe your business doesn't have as much of a margin of safety as you would think just because either the, the competition is so big or a business that's in the same industry is doing so well that there's no way that you can compete or is the either the industry is really competitive and, and you have a chance to really scoop it up or is one of the top three players kind of showing some weaknesses that a business that's in there can kind of exploit and take advantage of. So some things to keep in mind. And I think definitely if you want to take one thing away from today, I would say, Look at the biggest market cap businesses and realize that they may continue to grow during a bull market, but what are they really going to do for a 10 and 20 year time period if you're buying them near these super high peaks? Is there room for them to grow? Are, are they even at reasonable valuations anymore? And I would say majority of the time they're not. So it, in general, it's probably safer to err on the smaller side of market cap as long as you're not getting too small, like below $1 billion where really anything could happen to your business. But trying to get in that sweet spot, I think for most investors will pay off really nicely because it gives a nice balance of financial strength and also having kind of room to grow. And I think that's something that's really not discussed enough in uh, the investment world. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. I totally agree. I, I think the study of the maturation of businesses and industries is something that is often overlooked. And I don't think people discuss it near enough. So I have one burning question for you. Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> Well, I'm very, very I'm talking very the drink. For, I'm not talking the investment. I know. I'm very, very biased towards Diet Coke. So okay, that's that's been a thing that like I never liked as a kid, and then for whatever reason, like I got hooked, and now I, like I can't drink soda unless it's Diet Coke. Really? Yep, I'm kind of right there with you. That and Diet Dr Pepper; those are two of my favorites. <laughs> uh, uh, so I like. I like all the things that you were saying, and I guess a question I had 
that was kind of popping into my head while you were talking was, you know, thinking about how companies will kind of go through the the circle of life, if you will, of, you know, being a startup and growing to a small cap and then growing into, you know, a big player. And then, as you were saying, so eloquently flying too close to the sun like Microsoft did and thinking about, you know, even in my lifetime, you know, when I was in high school, you know, near closer to Andrew's age, uh, Microsoft was king and, you know, their computers were it. And now they're, they still kind of are and it's come back. But if I think of a computer company, I, I think of Apple and you think about the, you know, explosion of Apple from, you know, 10 years ago, just with the iPhone and all the derivatives of that with the watch and the iPads and so on, you know, that company has just exploded. But I guess, you know, you kind of come back to that question of can they grow 10 X at this point? You know, I don't know if they can, are they mature? You know, it's one of those things, you know, yes, they're a tech company, but they're also really a phone company. I guess along the lines with, with Apple, can they grow more? You know, can they grow 10 X, you know, it kind of falls into that same category that Amazon's going to fall into. Can they really grow that much? And I also think about the maturation of companies. Andrew mentioned the oil industry, and I read this great article uh, just recently by one of my favorite authors. His name is Vitaly Kantsenelson. So I'm probably butchered his last name, but very interesting guy. Uh, his website is the Contrarian, Contrarian Edge, and he's a value investor and he's very interesting. But he wrote this great article about um, Exxon just recently. And he was talking about kind of along the similar lines of Andrew and I were talking about, but a, a different tact. And he was mentioning that the company is kind of on its death throes. And the reason why he was mentioning that was because they are doing things to try to keep the appearance of a productive company and they really are not growing. And, you know, as Andrew said, they're one of the largest in the U S and can they really keep growing? And that's kind of where he was coming from. Can they really keep growing? And they were, he was talking about, that the company has had to leverage itself quite extensively to continue paying its dividend because it has not been generating the cash flows to continue to pay this very high dividend that they've had. And they don't want to cut it because that, of course, sends out all kinds of bad signals to the market. And so they've been doing everything they can to try to maintain the illusion, if you will, that they're still a very high profit growing company. But if you look at the last 10 years of their cash flows, they've been steadily dwindling and it all kind of correlates with the price of oil falling precipitously. You know, it was over a hundred dollars a barrel. And now I think it's in the mid fifties, if that. And so who knows if it's going to ever recover. And, you know, the company has been around since standard oil back in the early 1900s. And it, it may be at the end of its life cycle and who, you know, somebody may could step into that, but you know, that, I think that goes along with what we're talking about with the maturation of companies. You know, not only are you looking at the potential continued growth of a company like that, you know, you could argue is Coca-Cola, you know, really going to grow 10, 10 X. I mean, you know, with beverage consumption, especially with sodas, you know, continuing to drop year after year after year, you know, they're going to have to reinvent themselves or something's going to have to change for that to continue. So I'm not saying Coca-Cola is going out of business far from it, but 
I want to point out that there are tops to everything. Nothing can grow forever. And I think that's a little bit what Andrew was trying to talk about. Amazon can't grow forever. Walmart can't grow forever. At some point, I mean, we think of our lifetimes. We've seen companies, Sears, Kmart, uh, Borders, you know, just to name a few that have peaked at a certain point and they went out of business because they either couldn't keep up or they couldn't change or somebody came in to disrupt their business. And that's something that you have to keep in mind as well when you're looking at these companies. You know, I think Andrew made some great points about, you know, if you're at a top, can you really continue to grow the way it's growing? And looking at small caps gives you that opportunity to potentially get a 10 bagger, a 20 bagger, a 30 bagger. And especially if you're younger, like Andrew is, you know, that could just be monstrously huge for your retirement as you get older, like me, you know, you get to grumpy old state, grumpy old men stage like I am, then, you know, that's, those are, that's where you can really make some serious money in the, in the stock market. Yeah. And I've ran like numbers real quick on compound interest. So it would take 25 years at 10% a year to, to 10 X. So, wow. you know, are, are the the businesses that we're all talking about, can they continue what kind of growth they have for 25 years? And I think it really depends on the situation and you need to evaluate that. And like you said, it can make a huge difference in your final, final returns. Yeah. Excellent point. Excellent point. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion about industry maturation and companies that may or may not be at the top. And how those can help your investments and looking for other opportunities, uncovering more rocks, small caps, i.e., that can help you grow your wealth 10, 20, 30 times over a lifetime. So these are important things to think about when you're investing. And Andrew and I both agree that they are not discussed enough. And we hope that we've opened a few eyes with our discussion tonight. And we hope you learned a nugget or two. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. Die Coke is uh, the fan favorite here on the show. Love to hear what you guys think. Without any further ado, you guys have a great week. Go out and find some intrinsic value. Invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. You have a great week, and we'll talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.